Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, here with a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today our guest is Jenna Lee Green, who you will probably know best as Libby from the TGIF lineup in the show Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She's also a musical theater performer and has played some iconic roles, not limited to Elphaba. Um, in Wicked, but many others that she's going to talk to us about today. And we're going to learn what it was like to be friends with Melissa Joan Hart going to an NSYNC slash Britney Spears concert in the late 90s, early 2000s. I can't do math. I'm an actor. Buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some new hijinks. Forever Dog everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by television actress, as well as theater star, Jenna Lee Green. Hi Jenna. Hi Jinx. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm I'm pretty damn good. I can't complain. Um, it's another overcast, a bright overcast day in Portland. <laughs> Portland. Okay, I yeah. wasn't sure exactly where you were. Yeah, I um I moved back to Portland right before the pandemic, and then just kind of settled in and nested here. And now I don't see myself going anywhere else. <laughs> where in the world are you today? <laughs> I am in very chilly New York City. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I actually just returned. I spent the past month in Los Angeles, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went home for Christmas and just, yeah. <laughs> just got back to New York two days ago. Are you often doing the New York to LA back and forth? You know, one would think because I <laughs> run into people here on the streets of, of the city and they say to me, oh, hey, how are you? Are you back? In, are you in New York? Where? And I'm I literally just celebrated my 10 year anniversary of being a New Yorker. Oh, wow. Solidly. So I'm like, I live here. I have lived here for a very long time. But, but I get it. Have you seen someone pooping on the street? Because that is what I think really initiates you to the city. <laughs> I mean... I tend to block things out, so I'm sure I have, but just chose not to acknowledge it. You didn't register it, yeah. Yeah, but I do. I, I, you know, I try and get back to Los Angeles as much as I can because that's where I'm from. You know, I have um, family there, friends that I've known my whole life. So I, I do try to get back, but I, I would not consider myself completely completely bi-coastal. I don't okay. have an apartment there. I crashed with friends and family. Mm-hmm. And um, the past two years, I will say, because of what we've all been going through, I have spent a lot more time in Los Angeles than the past eight years prior. Yeah, um, It was just easier to kind of quarantine there and the weather's nicer and there's cars and you could sit in someone's front yard <laughs> or backyard and you just, yeah. it, that wasn't possible in New York. So I have spent a lot more time there the past couple of years, but I, I am a New Yorker. I live here and um, most of the time I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I am admittedly neither a New York or an LA person. I, um, I've worked and had to live in both locales um, 
you know, throughout my life. And I think when you're raised in a, in a small metropolitan city, it's hard. I don't know. At least it was for me. It was hard to get used to all that city um, that is L.A. or New York. But do you have a preference out of the two of them? People ask me that question all the time. <laughs> it is a very hard question to answer um, because there are things about Los Angeles that I miss dearly. And mm -hmm. there are things about Los Angeles that I don't miss dearly. And the same <laughs> goes for New York. There are things about New York that I love and there are things that I don't. I do not live in New York City for the weather. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll just put it out there. People, people always talk about you know, oh, but I want to live somewhere with seasons and LA doesn't really have seasons. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> and New York really has two seasons, like really yeah. hot and really cold. And then there's like a week on either end of pleasurable. <laughs> it's like the garbage on the street is either frozen solid or it's like melting. You can smell and... it across town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, and there, there's, I mean, there's something magical about, uh, I think, about New York City, you know, at the holidays. It's beautiful mm -hmm. that, that, you know, you can go to Rockefeller Center and Central Park and Bryant Park. And there's so much great stuff. Fifth, walking down Fifth Avenue and seeing all of the, you know, department store windows. So there are things about winter in New York that are, that are lovely, but... You know, again, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, so really cold and snow, I just don't love. Yeah. Everyone doesn't have to be equipped for all seasons, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but the, the energy and the pace of New York and the lifestyle of New York is what does appeal to me. Yeah. And the first time you and, well, the only time you and I have ever been in the same physical space, um, and the first time we met uh, was at the Lori Beachman Theater in Hell's Kitchen in New I York. I remember. Um, it was mind-blowing for me. I, w it, I had done my show that night, so at that point I must have been like three martinis in when I still drank. And um, my best friend was with me, who works as my tour manager. And they look across the room and they spot you and they're like, oh, my God, uh, something's happening. I, I know that face. I know that person. Why isn't it coming to me? Uh, give me. Oh, oh, Libby. <laughs> and then we both froze in our spots. Um, I immediately like beelined it. I'm pushing people out of the way to get to <laughs> you. <laughs> Um, and so I think most of my listeners, especially people my age who grew up with the golden days of the ABC TGIF lineup, um, <laughs> will remember you as Libby Kessler on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, seasons one through three. Sabrina's arch nemesis, uh, the most popular girl in school. Um, we, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't, I'm sure you have had your life monopolized by questions about Sabrina <laughs> the Teenage Witch, but I feel like as a drag queen and as a practicing witch myself, we have to start with Sabrina, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. You, um, you're just such a, you're like ingrained in my life because of the time in my life that I was watching that show and obsessed with that show, feeling like an outcast and a misfit myself, and then getting to watch this outcast with magic powers. I mean, I say outcast, she was still thin, gorgeous, and blonde, but, you know, she was a freak. <laughs> <laughs> um, from, from my research here, I see that you were very close with the cast. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we assume that everyone kind of plays. We assume that like, uh, you know, Draco Malfoy is a jerk off camera. We assume that Libby's a bitch off camera. <laughs> but you were actually quite close with the cast. What was the experience of Sabrina the Teenage Witch like for you? <laughs> um, you know, here's the thing. We were so young. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in LA, but I mean, I, I grew up in the suburbs of LA, so not the city proper. And I hadn't been exposed to a lot of, you know, what people think of when they think of like the typical Hollywood youth. I, I didn't even move really into the city until I got that job because I needed to be closer to where we filmed. It was, it would have been way too far of a commute if I, yeah. you know, stayed where I was. So I didn't know a ton of people 
when I started the show. So, and I think that there were other cast members, the same, you know, Melissa moved out from New York to do the show. And we had the first season, we had Michelle who moved from, from Canada to do the show. And, and um, so I think that we formed this bond because a lot of us, you know, were moving from different places to kind of shoot the show. So we, and when you're, when you're working on a show like that, the, you, you know, your hours are very long. So you don't get a ton of time to be, there's, there's not a huge social life outside yeah. of it. So we, our social life was kind of each other. And Melissa and I ended up, um, living down the street from each other so it was just easy like we all got along and we had fun together so it just seemed easy to continue that outside of work as well and it doesn't always happen that way you know we've all worked jobs where you did your job and you everyone was cordial and everyone was fine but when you were done you were done and you left and went your separate ways but we all really truly did And we had different cast members that came in and out and, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone truly was lovely. That's so great to hear. And I think it's worth pointing out the significance that, um, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, this was like pretty much an entirely female led cast and Mm -hmm. not only female led, but these were these were women with power. You know, (laughs) Uh, we had Sabrina and Hilda and Zelda all had magic powers. Libby had the power of, um, you know, social standing. (laughs) (laughs) She she had Mr. Kraft wrapped around her finger. Um, I you know, you played the bully, but also because of the nature of the show, you did quite a bit of slapstick. You did mm-hmm. quite a bit of, I, I believe there was an episode where um, Libby has the magic powers. So you you got to play a witch at points. Um, you were turned into a goat. You were turned into a puzzle. Um, <laughs> and then of course- Pineapple. You, <laughs> a pineapple. And then when you, like, I remember, um, you know, after you're transformed back into a human from the goat, then Libby still has a pin- uh, a penchant for eating paper. <laughs> paper. Um, they this show was so funny because it was, you know, like it was a primetime sitcom, but it involved so much slapstick, so much borscht belt comedy, more puns than Drag Race. You know, Drag Race is very pun heavy, but Sabrina the Teenage Witch was all pun. <laughs> uh, what uh, like was it fun getting to? Were there those days where you get hit in the face with a pie like eight times and you're over it, or did or or did it stay fun to have to do that kind of like slapsticky humor? <laughs> um, you know, it's it, I have to be honest and say it's it's hard to remember a lot of the stuff because <laughs> so much time has passed. Yeah. Um, but oh, it was what just I, like what twenty years. <laughs> Something like that. Um, you know, we, we're, we're all eternally teenagers, right? Of course. <laughs> um, but something that I, I really do firmly remember is that, um, you know, coming from, I had, I had always thought that I was going to be the, you know, the kid from her high school who, who, you know, loved musical theater and, and, you know, graduated and then, you know, maybe went to theater school and moved to New York to see if I could, you know, you know, so I, I had had a bit of experience because, you know, on stage, there is a lot more of a physical aspect to things than there is, you know, on television, I would say. Um, So I was used to being physical and using my body, but I didn't really have any experience with a lot of like prat balls and slapstick yeah. and that type of stuff. So I thought it was awesome, you know, getting to learn how to do a lot of that stuff. I was always very interested in the physical comedy aspect of it. Um, I do think that if, if I remember correctly, because it, it, you know, the, the, a lot of the, the pranks that happened could be messy. Uh-huh. Not just to me, to everyone involved. You know, yeah. uh, Sabrina herself had a lot of crazy things happen to her that, <laughs> yeah. that turned into big messes. So, for the sake of of um, of the the process and speed, I know that we did we rehearsed a lot of the stuff without the actual thing that would make the mess. So if it was, you know, I I know that there was one specific episode where I'm carrying a cake and I fall, <laughs> you know, headfirst into the cake, and I really. 
I think we only did it like for real full out mm-hmm. once. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the pie in the face and <laughs> it, it was, there, we tried as hard as we can to like kind of practice in slow mm-hmm. motion. We always had, you know, someone there choreography wise or fight, fight wise, you know, that, that really staged everything. And we practiced so that we wouldn't have to go through, you know, if you get cake or, or pie or whipped cream or whatever it is in, on your face and in your hair, mm-hmm. that's a full amount of time to redo all of it. Yeah, yeah. So we really practiced a lot without those things and then tried our damnedest to get it in, <laughs> in, in one. You yeah. know, I'd like, to th- I'd like to think that I succeeded most of the time. I can't really remember, but I think <laughs> that we, we did. We were able to just really get it to a place where we knew what we were doing and then boom, just do it, great, let's move on. to imagine with um the sitcom format from what i can tell as a viewer um and you know my my experience in tv is limited to reality tv and a couple scripted shows but that kind of three-point camera setup sitcom format does kind of feel as an audience member more like a play that's being filmed and mm-hmm. um, it sounds like, um, and based on my notes and the things I know about you, and we'll get into your theater career, but it sounds like maybe you were um, more focused on theater and then you landed a role in TV. Was that like an, or were you going for both simultaneously? <laughs> well, um I mean, I guess I would agree with you in so much as I was so young and in, and in mm-hmm. high school, you don't like being on a TV show didn't really seem like a a huge reality to me because like I said, I I did grow up in the Los Angeles area, but I was in such a suburb that it wasn't like I grew up in Hollywood and and I was one of those kids. So I just knew that I loved performing and I loved theater. I loved musical theater. And so that seemed like the natural progression for me, Mm -hmm. but because of the fact that I did live close enough to Los Angeles, you never knew who was going to be in the audience of something you were doing. And that's kind of how I fell into things and finding my first manager who, who then, you know, took me to an agency and things happened. I mean, you know, the, in the grand scheme of things, Sabrina happened really quickly once Mm -hmm. that all. So it was just kind of like, do you want to do this? Sure. I'll try. Okay, great. And then, you know, I, I don't want to say it was my first audition. It certainly was not. But mm-hmm. I I hadn't been, you know, auditioning for television and film roles very long before that came my way. Yeah. So, yes, but I will say a lot of people think that Sabrina was filmed like a sitcom with an audience oh, yeah. and it was not. Oh, yeah. It was not. I didn't know if you thought that or not from saying the, well, you know, the I, multicam. I thought maybe there was some, you know, canned laughter to help. <laughs> yeah, no, but. we, um, it was not, it, we rehearsed it on Mondays and Tuesdays, kind of like it was a sitcom, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with the table read. And then you go to lunch and the writers go back to the room and they figure out what worked and what didn't. And then you go yeah. in and you go on the sound stage and you rehearse it. We kind of did all of that like it was a sitcom, but then come Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it was full, you know, 12, at least 12 hour shooting days. Well, I have to, yeah, that, that does make sense now that I'm thinking about it, considering all the um, special effects and yeah, there was too much special effects. Yeah. (laughs) I have to ask, um, since the show itself was geared towards a younger audience, did you ever, and, and, you know, kids have a hard time sometimes separating what they watch on TV from what happens in reality. Did you ever have moments of going out in public just as yourself and little kids recognizing you and um, <laughs> having um, any reaction towards you being Libby in the real world? <laughs> yes. 
for sure. I, I think when the show first premiered, we were so busy that we, you know, we were working all the time. So I, I we never really had a huge chance to go a lot of places, but I, two instances I remember very specifically, one of them was the first time, I think the show had probably been on for a couple of months at this point. And I went to the mall or something with, I think my sister and it was definitely, I started getting all of these stares and I just, because I hadn't (laughs) experienced it before, I didn't really know what was happening. It took me a while to realize why people were staring at me because I just didn't get it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of the first initiation. And then I think it was in the first season, um, we had uh, in sync. Mm -hmm was a guest on the show because we used to have you know a, a quite often we would have a musical guest yeah. um but we had in sync on the show and uh i can't remember why more maybe it was i think i want to say it was melissa myself and nate richard who played harvey i think mm-hmm. i can't remember if anyone else went but they invited us to um their concert they were doing a show at universal Universal mm-hmm. Amphitheater. And I want to say that Britney Spears was opening for them. Like that's how big <laughs> concert was. Yeah. And um, uh, we went to the show and I don't know why I only remember it being Melissa and myself, but maybe Nate was there with us at the time. All I remember is that we, we were going to our seats before the show started and it was absolute chaos to the point where security actually had to come and get us and take and take us out (laughs) and so they we waited they waited until we was we didn't want to watch the show from backstage like we wanted to be there we were so excited we wanted to watch the show but they had to wait until the concert actually started again to bring us back in because it was and I will never forget it because it was so foreign to me I didn't understand what was happening but um you know, it, it, it lasted for quite some time, you know, nowadays it's more normal, but it's strange how the show kind of just lives on and resurfaces and mm-hmm. people are watching it, you know, people that watched it when it was on are now watching, showing it to their kids. And I still, from time to time, I still do get people being like, you look familiar, <laughs> but it's like that game of like, did I go to high <laughs> you I and I'm more than happy to talk to anyone the only thing that bothers me is when you can tell I'm an actor I can tell when people are actors I can tell when people are bad actors Uh but I can you know when when somebody knows exactly where they know you from but they want you to tell them Uh uh-huh yeah Mm -hmm. that's the Um, only one that gets me if you ask me point blank I'll be like yeah hi it's so nice to meet you but if you're like oh I know you you're an actor right what what do I know you from I'm like "Mm, I don't know you probably i because it just makes me feel weird (laughs) yeah no in my own life I've you know um I I experience that pretty much only when I go out to gay bars but there will be times where someone will come up to me and be like I know you from somewhere and eventually I'll just say do you watch drag race and then they go no I don't really watch drag race and I'm like then what are we doing here right now (laughs) (laughs) what game are we playing um I'm pretty sure when I went up to you at the Lori Beachman theater it was something (laughs) like oh my god that show was so important to me and I started gushing about being raised by a single mom and how important like seeing these like caring strong powerful female characters on tv was to me i got way too introspective way too quickly but but you were so kind and we well uh, i remember meeting you and i i remembered it being lovely well thank you um i i do want to know if you watched the new reboot Sabrina the the chilling adventures of Sabrina <laughs> and if you have any initial thoughts on that and then we can close the book on Sabrina That's and move me. on to other facets of your life <laughs> um I will say that um I I did I watched the initial like the pilot episode of it mm-hmm. the first one and I thought it was a cool show I I I, ju- I, I truly didn't see the the resemblance to our show yeah. it was just a kind of completely different way of of telling the story of Sabrina who came from an Archie comic book yeah. character. It, it didn't really have anything to do with our show. Um, 
I thought it was um, very cool. It was very well done, um, very dark, very, yeah. you know, just a completely, completely, completely different thing. I joke around, I said, you know, leave it, leave it to my cast to be the cast that gets a reboot of a show, but it's a completely different show. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm obsessed with all things witches. So I watched every single episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, every single episode of the new Sabrina. And of course there was the crossover episode where Beth Broderick and Caroline yeah, Ray Beth and Caroline. came mm-hmm. and um, reprised their roles of uh, Hilda and Zelda. And I think unless those were doubles by the end had full demon prosthetics and it was kind of fun <laughs> to see the, the aunties we grew up with um, in a more sinister light. But um I just, uh, I'll watch anything with witches. It doesn't even have to be good. I, I think <laughs> I watched two full seasons of The Worst Witch, some BBC um, <laughs> British ch- children's television show. I think Not I've at seen all that. geared towards me. <laughs> I think that I have seen that show, actually. Yeah. Um, there was there. I think there was there was a show. I, I'm talking like back when I was really young, but there was another uh, version called the the worst witch with Feruza Balk was in it. Yeah, it, it, I remembered it, that. I know there was like a movie. There was a yeah, was or maybe it was a movie. Series. I can't remember, but I <laughs> I remember the worst witch that Feruza Balk was the lead girl in, and she was this young, awkward. I loved it. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Feruza Balk, of course, um, famous for the craft. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like when someone gets involved with a witch project, more witch projects come to follow. And um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm referring to the fact that you played the role of Nessa Rose in the first um, tour of uh, the first North American tour of the Broadway musical Wicked. You were also mm-hmm. the Elphaba understudy and went on as Elphaba. Um, mm-hmm. So do you think once you get labeled witch or witch adjacent that those those similar roles just seek you out or was it just happenstance (laughs) you know I mean I would love to say that there was some tie-in or (laughs) that it was you know this the universe I I really do think it it, it is a hilarious coincidence (laughs) but it really is just coincidence you know um there was such a, a long time between, you know, when I did Sabrina and when Wicked came about. Um, I had done a musical. Um, I had been a part of the the creative company of of this mu- musical called Bear, which is a rock opera um, mm-hmm. that started in Los Angeles, and um, it was this huge, crazy phenomenon. This sh- this show that that sold out a small theater, but people were you know waiting around the corner every night trying to get tickets to come see the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show transferred to New York uh, and played off Broadway for a short time. And I moved to New York to do that show, and it kind of had a very sad, uh, untimely death when we thought the show was going to run a lot longer and it closed and it was going to transfer and then the transfer fell through. And here I was, I had just uprooted my entire life to New York City to do this show. And then all of a sudden the show was done. And, um, but the show had a lot of attention and a lot of people came and saw it. And that is what led to Wicked. so I, you know, it is funny that that my life has kind of swirled around witches and bitches, but um, uh, getting to do that show and coming to New York kind of put me in front of a lot of a lot of really cool people here in the city, and I was really really fortunate. Wicked was one of the first things that I auditioned for uh, when Bear closed, mm-hmm. and then it just happened. And well, it was I, such a huge, I mean, it was the biggest show in New York at the time. Oh, so, you know, everyone wanted to be a part of it. I know if I had been in the audience, I would have been sitting there the whole time. She was the bully to the witch in high school, but now <laughs> she is the witch. Um, <laughs> my mind probably would have been stuck on that for the first act of the show. Um, <laughs> do you have favorite moments of portraying Nessa Rose? And do you have favorite moments of portraying 
Elphaba, um, which, you know, playing Elphaba in that show, you're like flying around, you're um. casting spells, you're painted green. <laughs> I, that, that to me sounds like a whole marathon. Like you'd probably oh. start your preparation for the show that night, like at noon that day, and you're not done until two the next morning. So... You know, it's it's funny that you say that because I can't tell you how many times people who aren't in the theater, you know, will comment on what we do. And, you know, I a lot of times I hear, um, you know, people say, oh, my gosh, it must be so amazing. You know, you only work what, like two and a half, three hours a day. And yeah. it just it just makes me chuckle because if you're not in the world, I guess it, it, it's it's hard to comprehend that especially in like a big musical, you know, not to say that, that doing a play isn't, I would love to just do a play, no singing involved. Um, But in, with a musical, people don't understand what goes into your preparation for those two and a half hours. There is so much physically you have to get ready. Mentally, you have to get ready. Um, Vocally, you have to get ready. Everything you do throughout your day determines where you're going to be in the evening for that performance. So it's, it's a very, um, everything is calculated as far as, you know, how much you can exert yourself or not exert yourself or where you mm-hmm. can go. And, oh, you know, I should probably knock it off with the, with the talking. Cause I'm, you know, so, um, it's so, there is so much involved with mm-hmm. doing a big musical. When you say it's a marathon, especially a role like Alphaba, it's you're sweating before you've even, by the time you've run down the proscenium <laughs> for the first thing. Cause you've got, if you think about it, you know, you're wearing tights, you're wearing a bodysuit that covers, comes up to your, you know, your neck and covers your arms to help with the green. And then your face and your neck and the back of your neck and your hands are all painted green. And then you've got a wig cap on and a wig and a wool cap. And then you put a turtleneck on and a dress that's like, it's just, you're exhausted before you've even started. It sounds a lot like drag, you know, being like <laughs> wearing a second skin of makeup. Um, even when you look naked in drag you're probably wearing like three to four layers of clothing (laughs) yeah yeah um you know uh playing Nestor's and playing Alphaba obviously are 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 very 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 different things Mm -hmm. I I do think that that Nesseros gets a little bit of a bad rap like she I think people think the role is much simpler than than it is Mm -hmm. um I never like to go into anything thinking something is just kind of a throwaway um there's, there is a beauty and, and, uh, an intricacy in every, in every role. And Mm -hmm. if you, if you look at something as though it's boring or, or it's, you know, not as, as large of a role as other things, then you're doing a disservice to everyone involved and the audience because her journey is, is a different journey, but it's just as important. So I loved my time with, with Nessa Rose. It's definitely much more of an acting role than a singing role, but you do have to sing. She's got a couple, she's got a couple moments where you got to let a whale. And that was, (laughs) I loved it. Um, The physicality of the role was people don't quite get that you are actually, um, maneuvering the wheelchair yourself. Mm -hmm. And because of the way it's designed to be, you know, a, a, old-fashioned you know rickety wooden wheelchair it's not the easiest yeah (laughs) and and in new york the stage is raked so you're rolling up a hill yeah so it's definitely you'll find yourself in pt and you know you physical therapy just getting out the kinks the ribs pop out of place a little bit from time to time (laughs) even if you've stretched and warmed up I didn't, I wasn't always as good as I should have been with that but um (laughs) so there there were but Nessa Rose is just such a, um, she's a beautiful character who's, who's, it, she is really tragic because she, her life, you know, you look at her and people just constantly talk about, you know, facially what she looks like. She's such a beautiful girl, but they don't, the journey that she goes on is, is important. And, um, you know, a lot of times the people who, who act out or behave badly it's it's all about something that they've internalized it's it's their it's it's their own insecurities coming out and it's their own fears coming out so I loved 
um, getting to play Nessa. And then Alphaba for me was just a dream, but it was also a terrifying dream yeah. all the time. Because <laughs> when you are a cover, you don't you don't necessarily get the stamina of like really building it up and feeling mm-hmm. like, yes, mm-hmm. like now I'm in the zone because it's like, you'll do a couple shows and then you won't do it for a week and then you do a yeah. show and then you won't do it for four days and then you do... So, you know, I feel like in the year that I covered and I, I definitely went on my fair share, we, we kind of alternated and did, um, you know, definitely, definitely got like, got a lot of chances to do it, but yeah. it never, it never really felt like, oh, now I'm in, now I'm in the zone. <laughs> You're constantly like, oh, I could have done this differently or that differently. But the fact of the matter is it's like saying that you got to play that role at all ever is just I think something that you will always remember and um just that first when the when the scrim opens and she runs to the foot of the stage like there's nothing like that because no matter who you are no matter where you are the audience bursts into applause and this young girl is just staring out at everything and it feels that cool every time mentioned a lot of things that I think um, people kind of overlook or in unless you're part of the world like you've mentioned before you don't really know these kind of things go into it like um, the singing stamina like you know Mm -hmm. being a singer myself having done musicals myself I don't think people realize that when I'm in a show that's vocally demanding it's kind of like that's the only thing I'm doing that day because Mm -hmm. you have to save it all for the show Mm -hmm. and and then typically after the show, you're completely spent. So you're just ready to go home. Um, and then also talking about, you know, f- this is a term, this is a phrase that I think is very cliche and doesn't really apply to most situations. But the the cliche phrase we all know, there are no small roles, only small actors. Let's face it, there are small roles. <laughs> <laughs> but... A, a role wouldn't be included in a show unless it had a a part to play in that show, unless it had a purpose. And I remember in college, I was playing Joe Crowell, the paperboy in Our Town, which is already a dry, boring play. And then I was playing the paperboy <laughs> who has one scene, and then later we just hear he's dead. And <laughs> that's, it, that's it for Joe Crowell. And I had a really hard time with this because it was like my junior year, junior or senior year, and I was like, I really wanted to like you know, use the stuff I've been learning in my classes in this show. And I don't really know how to apply that to um, Joe Crowell, the paper boy. And one of my favorite teachers at my school said, well, if what we know about Joel is he's a paper boy, I mean, Joe, Joel, Joel Crowell. Um, <laughs> if what we know is that he's a paper boy and then later we learn that he's dead, then his death must have some kind of significance to the show. And the best way for his death to have significance in the show is to show him as full of life as can be in the one scene we get with him. So, you know, I took that and I was like, okay, I've got to make people care that I die later, you know, (laughs) like otherwise it's just this like blip that doesn't matter. But if I really show a plucky, a plucky young paper boy with the whole, his whole future in front of him, then maybe people will take a moment to go, Oh no, Joe's dead. (laughs) um, I love that. I think, yeah, I think, uh, you know, when we have to find a way to love our character, even if the character's, a villain or, or, or the high school bully or um, anything. Oh, we absolutely. have to find that connection to the character so that like, because if the character matters to the person playing it, then it's more likely that that character will matter to the audience watching it. So. Yeah. And I, I agree. And to elaborate on, on that, you know, the thing is that what people sometimes don't necessarily understand, but then also forget is that, you know, as actors, we're always playing a role. You may play a role that seems very similar to who you are, mm. or you may play a role that is completely the opposite of who you are, but you're, it doesn't matter. You're still playing a role. And I have always been someone who um, 
when I'm done, I'm done. Like I don't take the role home with me. I don't, I don't stay in character, you know, the entire time the process, because for me, that's too mentally exhausting. Like I, I love to perform and to, to pretend to be someone else. And you can still give a fully realized performance, I think, while also maintaining who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And, um, but a lot of times people or audience members in my experience have, have not been able to disassociate. Um, I've played roles, you know, when you play someone who's, who's mean, for instance, or, or misunderstood or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it may be. And the audience doesn't want to root for that person because a lot of times they shouldn't they can think that that's who you are in real life. And it's just most often not the truth. Like it's much easier to play something completely separate from who you are because you don't always recognize the qualities of yourself, but you watch qualities in other people. And that's why it's, that's why it's easy to mimic the mean girl. Cause yeah. you, you watch them. If you are the mean girl, you don't think you're the mean girl. So you don't, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you think about the, the bitchiest girl in high school, she probably didn't think she was a mean girl. She probably thought she was very nice. Yeah. That's a very good point. Um, I had, and also having young audience members in a, a lot of the work that we've talked about. I remember when I was a kid, I went to see a play of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The White Witch was my favorite character, as you know, a little closeted queer trans person at the age of 10 or something, you know, I was obsessed with the, the white witch, but I remember when she took her bows, um, the actor taking her bows at the end of the show got booed by the children in the audience. And I went Mm. home and I cried to my mom about how bad I felt for the woman who played the white witch because everyone (laughs) booed her when she took her bows. And my mom said, no, that means she did her job because if she was the villain, if if she's getting booze at the end of the show, then that means she did her job and those kids really believed her to be the villain. So it's kind of a a, a mind trick to play a villain, I guess, where you <laughs> where you have to accept the booze as a job well done. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, of course, we've talked a lot about Libby, Nessa Rose, Elphaba, but you've played many, many roles. Um, I see here in my extensive notes, <laughs> <laughs> you've had roles um, on NCIS, The New Gossip Girl, Bones, Castle, Dharma and Greg, Cold Case, ER, and you have um, LA credits in The Wizard of Oz, The Secret Garden, Romeo and Juliet, um, other productions. Do you have other roles that... Um, were uh, especially significant to you other roles you you want the world to know about (laughs) (laughs) um I mean I don't know if I would say that I have other roles I want the world to know about I I you know do you have any roles you want the world to forget about (laughs) (laughs) I mean we've all we've all done that show that that was just real bad yeah um but you know the the um I think that a lot of times if you do a job or or two that is um, somewhat significant. Mm-hmm. I think another misconception is that you are, you know, well, a rich and you can <laughs> totally pick and choose your jobs. That is not the case for almost all of us. There is a very, very, very small, you know, one percent of working actors who truly are so successful that they can just do whatever they want, whenever they want. You know, I am very thankful for any job that comes my way. I spend a lot of time auditioning, a lot of times wishing I had more auditions, a lot of times wishing I got the job that I didn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a numbers game. And there's just so much talent out there. There's so many people out there um, all pursuing the same goal. So yeah. I... Honestly, every time the phone rings and I find out that something that I had, you know, auditioned for is being offered to me, I am just giddy. And there are definitely, there have been some things that, that through the work that I've done my entire career and connections that I've made, you know, there are times when jobs are just offered to me. And again, I I never take any of that for granted. I am so thankful 
Um, anytime someone thinks of me and just reaches out and says, hey, we have this, this thing, we'd love for you to do it. Um, but more often than not, it is you working really hard and auditioning and preparing and, and not getting the job. So, um, you know, I'm a lifer. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see myself, you know, giving up and being like, ah, I can't take this anymore. I'm done. I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. This is what I love. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm very proud of everything that I've, um, been able to accomplish. And I am excited about what there still is out there for me. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I the numbers game, the the rejection involved is, I think, uh, a thing that lots of, you know, like you like you mentioned, you might see a person on TV and think, okay, this person has it made now, you know, <laughs> um, and that's just not really the industry. And no. um, these days, as as an actor who's more well known as my drag persona, you know, they're starting to write roles for gender nonconforming people they're starting to write drag queen roles into shows and stuff um a lot of the time they're they've already got the the idea of what that role is going to look like what that um actor is going to look like before anyone starts auditioning and then now we've got hundreds of drag queens to choose from so (laughs) (laughs) you you go into uh an audition and you're like this role is perfect for me it was written for me and then they cast someone completely different from you and you're you're, you realize oh they never they already had an idea of what that role was going to be before they called me (laughs) yeah But um, I remember I was at, I was at an audition once where I was, this is back in the world of in-person auditions, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I'll never forget sitting in the hallway, waiting to go into the room and audition. And the door was cracked. And I actually heard (laughs) the casting director on the phone setting up an offer. Oh, like putting out an offer for the role I was waiting to go in. So it's just like, that's the world that we live in. You know, there, there are people that are always, you know, even when you're auditioning for things and that's something that, that as actors, we have to always remember is that so often when 90% of the time that you do not get a job, it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't have, it's not you, it's not that you weren't pretty enough or you weren't talented enough or you weren't, it's, you know, they already had, they already had offers in place and they were seeing people, you know, in case the offers fell through or, you know, they, they've hired um, an actor and you happen to be, you know, height wise, it doesn't work. Or you look like the director's ex-girlfriend and he can't, (laughs) you know, you just don't, you, you don't are know. the director's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, there's so much that goes into it. And so I, I always feel like, you know, getting a job at this point is like 15% what you did in your audition. Obviously, yeah. you have to be good and back it up. But there's so much talent out there. There really is. Yeah. There's so many amazing, beautiful, talented people out there. So, you know, when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it doesn't. And you have to just let it go. I always say, leave it at the door. Yeah. When I've auditioned for something, you just have to leave it at the door and, and you're done and you move on. And if something comes back your way, amazing. And if not, if you spend too much time dwelling on it, well, well I could have done this different or I should have worn this. It's it, 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 the amount of, of sleepless nights you'll have if you let yourself go to that, yeah. I say, crazed place. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, one of my favorite things about the the acting college I went to is that they were um, brutally honest with us the entire time, you know, like yeah. about how much rejection there is um, uh, rewarding yourself after an audition, no matter what, so that you like, <laughs> so that oh, you remind that. yourself that like, doing an audition is one of the most unnatural things you'll do as a human being, <laughs> like going yes, into a room is. full of strangers and being like, Hey, judge me off of 30 seconds of knowing me. Right. Where um, I have no props. I'm not in the, the, <laughs> the, the surroundings I would be in. You're usually talking to someone who's like sitting down with paper and they don't even look at you. It's, yeah. it's all such a crazy, crazy world. <laughs> and then um, something you mentioned about, being able to let it go at the end of the show and and go back to you and um, compartmentalizing that. I remember one of my favorite uh, 
notes an acting teacher told us about was like, you know, you can talk about method acting and you can talk about like living as the character and getting into the mindset of the character. But, you know, you're this is also a profession. You're also doing a job. If you convince yourself you're King Lear and walk around every day like you're King <laughs> Lear, that doesn't make you very accessible for um, the work that has to take place. You know. <laughs> Um, do you have, do you have dream roles, um, that you'd like to put out into the universe as like in my future, I, I hope that I, um, play this role. Are there roles that haven't been written yet that you're hoping, um, will get written in, in, in your lifetime for you to be able to go for those roles? <laughs> um, honestly, I think the latter there's, there's yeah. so much, you know, there's, there's, beautiful, amazing, wonderful shows that have already been written. And there's lots of roles that I'm sure I would love to play. But I, I think that in my, like deep down in my heart, my dream role, because I've already gotten to play a couple dream roles, mm -hmm. that the next dream role is something new. I think that I, I think that I would love to originate something new. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> maybe it's the life and times of Jenna Lee Green you know maybe it's oh. the musical <laughs> I don't know that anyone should play themselves <laughs> that's a good point unless uh, you know little Edie said I always think about this because I've portrayed little Edie on stage uh, a handful of times I always think about the fact that she in her in the documentary Grey Gardens said that she really didn't want anyone ever playing her because she didn't think that anyone would be able to get it right except for mm. Audrey Hepburn, you know, just, just like, oh, just Audrey Hepburn. Maybe just if Audrey she's Hepburn. available, we'll let her play little Edie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, everyone is different. I don't know that, that, <laughs> you know, I mean, my personal opinion is that, you know, well, first of all, I, I don't know why anyone read a show about me. My life has not been. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> highly disagree. But um, um, you are uh, you are a nine. I, I you know I of course can't figure out the math in my head because I'm an actor. But it was late '90s, early 2000s. This was a very iconic time. The fashion on Sabrina is iconic. The <laughs> the the just a TV show about witches being on prime time. Um, TGIF was a very significant part of my weekly <laughs> routine. No, I'm, and... I am a very, very lucky girl to have been a part of something <laughs> that iconic. And I agree with you. It, it's still mm -hmm. weird to me because it was just my life at the time, but mm -hmm. it is really, truly part of a moment in, in television history that was very, very poignant and significant to a lot of people. And yeah. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Well, as you know, <laughs> as a kid of the 90s myself to me that's like the any anyone who was on TGIF lives in the pantheon in my mind you know? <laughs> and um this has nothing to do with anything but there was that time it was a brief period but almost every show on TGIF was about the supernatural there was like Teen Angel um Sabrina the Teenage Witch I think there was another one that <laughs> There was a time when we were just obsessed with uh, magic and, and the supernatural and surrealism. And I think that kind of ebbs and flows, um, you know, in media and entertainment. We go back and forth from being really obsessed with reality to being really obsessed with the supernatural. Um, and uh, nowadays it's like stuff that started out as reality becomes supernatural. We've got like... Uh, Riverdale, I've never watched it, but there's like werewolves. I don't know. <laughs> I have some questions that I ask every guest and you okay. may answer them um, however you feel. Uh, but the first question is, who is your celebrity crush today? Oh my gosh, today? <laughs> I say today because I have like a new celebrity crush every other day. <laughs> huh. That's a tough question. Um 
gosh. <laughs> I really, I mean, honestly, if we're just talking about someone I'm obsessed with at the moment, it would be mm-hmm. Kate Winslet. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that would be considered a crush, but I'm just obsessed with her. And um, I recently watched, you know, Mary of Easttown and, and I just love her. She's mm-hmm. just so, she's, she's, um, uh, she's just so watchable and so beautiful. <laughs> and um, so I don't know, I don't know if that would be considered a crush, but I'm, I'm currently kind of just obsessed with her and, and I, I want a second season or something else. <laughs> Um, my celebrity crush today, and I'm pretty sure I've said this one before, but he keeps coming back around. It's Eric Andre. Um, I, I think he's a hilarious actor, but I'm also just, you know, that, that's, uh, that's one sexy man. And he's constantly posting pictures of himself in Speedos lately. And so every oh. time I think I'm done with my Eric Andre crush, he posts another Speedo pic or <laughs> him in a bikini from his early 20s. And I'm like, you're back at the top of my list, Eric Andre. Um, <laughs> Listen, he's aware of what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Self-awareness is very sexy. Um, yeah. my, my second question for you is, are you spiritual? Sure. <laughs> I love that answer. Sure. <laughs> do you do you get practicing witches? I mean, I I am a practicing witch myself. Um, I I always say witchcraft is my philosophy and worldview, and does not um, impede with my belief in science. Um, mm-hmm. But I find that my my practicing witchcraft works hand in hand with. Um, therapy and <laughs> I find ways to incorporate it into my life. Do you ever get like, um, do you ever get like witches in public coming up to you wanting to talk to you about witchcraft? <laughs> um, I, I can, I, I don't think <laughs> that that has ever happened. Although I will say this, mm. I, I am that girl who, whenever someone, you know, someone who, who calls themselves like a, a, a psychic or a, or a medium or mm-hmm. whatever it may be, you know, the, the ones who have signs outside their window being like, come in for yeah. a free, po-. I cannot tell you the amount of times I have either just been walking past. I have been in a restaurant. <laughs> I, this has happened to me on, on more than one occasion and someone will pass me and they'll stop and they'll come back and they're like, you, I have to talk to you. Your spirit is just drawn me back. I, 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 and it always, to be honest, annoys me because I'm like, <laughs> I'm eating or I'm walking. But I'm like, there's no way they do that to everyone. So is it <laughs> is it true that there's just something about my spirit and my aura that is that is drawing this person who feels like they really read into that? I don't mm-hmm. know, but it is something that has happened to me quite often. But I don't know that I've ever had someone come up to me and say, I'm a witch, I want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just me so far. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm especially interested in your answer for this, you being a musical theater performer. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, wow. Hilariously, my go-to karaoke song is not musical theater. <laughs> okay. I, I wouldn't have expected it to be because, you know, we go to karaoke for for the break from our, our normal singing gigs. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say that I bust out a mean suddenly Seymour if I've got a partner. I, I believe that. Um, um, my, my like go-to, my favorite is, um, um, Alanis Morissette, Uninvited, oh. which had, had that show lived longer, that would have been mm-hmm. going back to your, your been, prior question. That would have been a cool role. That would have been something I would have loved to role. have, have <laughs> jumped into at some point, maybe yeah. regionally somewhere. I would like to, to play Mary Jane. Get, then you get the, um, then you get the nineties uh, connection too. I mean, I mm-hmm. would be front row and center for that. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. That's, that's something that, that I, you know, first of all, I loved the show and I was mm-hmm. so sad to, to see it be honestly kind of one of the first um, yeah. pandemic, uh, closures, but I loved that show. I loved ev- And Elizabeth Stanley is such a goddess. Um, but that's, that's definitely a role if that popped up somewhere that I would love. I mean, you yeah. know, I can have teenage children. Sure. <laughs> Do you, um, have you ever been out to karaoke and, um, 
there's a group, uh, I think of, you know, there were times where like I was in a musical and groups of us would go to karaoke after a show and take over the karaoke bar and much to the chagrin of everyone else at the karaoke bar, when you get a group, especially young musical theater actors at a karaoke bar, it's like, it becomes, it becomes a one night cabaret show. <laughs> a showcase. Well, I will say that karaoke, my friends, my, my friends here in New York and even, you know, back in the day, friends in, in LA, but specifically here in New York, I have a group of friends who karaoke is very, serious thing mm -hmm. and um <laughs> we used to do it every year for my birthday which obviously the past couple of years we haven't been able to do that but we would always mm -hmm. go to hooters for <laughs> hooters for their for wings and then we go to karaoke but we get our own room we get our own oh, private yeah. room yeah that that so is i have the... not frequented very many karaoke <laughs> bars here in new york where uh we just take over the joint we get our own room yeah well that's very courteous to the the rest <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we had uh, a karaoke place like that in seattle where we would get our own room and it was perfect for my group of friends because i was kind of the extrovert in my group of friends and um lots of them wouldn't sing if there was an audience and um a very special evening um my best friend kenny who's been with me through my entire ride post drag race and was my one of my biggest supporters pre drag race never would ever sing in public um, we had one of those private rooms. I was singing maybe this time from Cabaret and Kenny picks up a second microphone and starts drunkenly screaming maybe this time over me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's an experience you can only have in a private karaoke room. Um, yeah. This is completely unrelated to anything we've talked about, but I just want to pick your brain about it. Um, I don't know at the at the Broadway level. I've yet to experience that myself. But in the regional theater level of musical theater, especially when you're working with younger actors who have been training since middle school to be in musical theater, I refer to musical theater actors as the Mormons of the theater world. <laughs> A lot of what we were talking about with like the preserving your voice and the stamina that it takes to be in a musical. I remember, you know, being a queer drag queen who drank and smoked pot and was partying on the weekends. I was like the black sheep of the musical theater world because everyone <laughs> else was very like, you know, um, I wake up at 9 a.m. with the sunrise. Oh, I don't know when the sun rises. But anyway, you know, like they they live very pure lifestyles um to be fit for their their musical theater profession uh is it similar in the broadway level or do you have your um wild cards there <laughs> i mean i i can't answer that question for everyone i i am sure that um you know if you're taking on a role such as alphaba or something of the sort that is just a, an a mammoth of a of a show every single time and you're trying your best to perform eight shows a week um, yes, I would say that, that you have to live a life like that, but there are many, 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 many shows, and there are many, many, many performers in it who have absolutely figured out how to also have a social life. And, um, and no, you definitely in, in, again, you know, pre COVID times when, when we felt as though we could socialize and, and go wherever we wanted, when we wanted, no, are you kidding? The bars <laughs> and the restaurants are full after showtime. Yeah. And, you know, most performers, most, most, you know, the Broadway performers that I know, their lifestyle is completely opposite. They're, uh, they're wired after a show and, and mm -hmm. out and you have a cocktail to relax and you are up till two and you sleep till 10. Yeah. So no, I would not say that that, <laughs> but again, certain people who, you know, a, a, I would say, a harder role, job to perform, mm -hmm. definitely, um, you know, take care of themselves and do whatever it is that they need to do. But yeah. no, people live their lives. <laughs> Don't take my wine away. Don't take my wine away. <laughs> I just remember feeling like, I mean, even when there were other like queer people in the production, I was like, oh, were you out at Neighbors last week? Were you at that party? And they're like, I wasn't partying, Jinx. We we're in a show and I was like oh I guess I'm just the drunken wild card well I just think that that, that might be some people taking themselves a bit too seriously 
<laughs> I'm going to text them and told them, you know, <laughs> just told. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being a guest today, Jenna Lee Green. Um, where can people find you on social medias um, when they when they go obsessively search you after this episode? <laughs> Um, well, they can find me on Twitter at um, the real Jenilee Green, but I am most active, to be honest, on Instagram. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so it would just be my name, Jenilee Green. At Jenilee Green. L-E-I-G-H. It's the fancy yes. Lee, everybody. Um, <laughs> and green without the extra E at the end. Yes. No, just like the color. <laughs> just like the color. Um, but definitely, that's definitely where you can find me much more often. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute dream come true and something that would have blown my mind as, as a preteen um, watching you every week on TGIF. Um, this is... This is a life goal met, and I'm really appreciative oh, for your time today. So my thank goodness. You so much. What a way to make me smile. Well, it was <laughs> so nice to talk to you, and um, I'm just sending out love and, and stay safe and healthy. <laughs> and everyone, you know, uh, could we start following the fucking COVID rules so that the industry, so that the performing arts can survive this thing. Seriously, <laughs> just, I'm begging you guys, it's not that difficult. Let's just get it together, get vaccinated. Get boosted, wear your fucking masks. Even if you're vaccinated, just like wear the, it's a mask. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so lovely well, to chat with you. <laughs> Lovely to chat with you, too. And thank you all so much for listening to Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Jinx. To listen to Hijinks ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Hijinks is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.